0: And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Finally bringing you our Knives Out Oscar Sprint Profile. And it is an Oscar Sprint Profile for all intents and purposes because uh, Mike and I are both going to advocate for this movie to have some kind of Oscars prestige because everybody loves it. You've heard Mm -hmm. us pound the table over that fact in the last couple weeks especially. I am your co-host Mike One. This is co-host also Mike. Mike, we have a special guest joining us today as well. I can't wait till he gets here. Yeah. It's going to be like one of the highlights of
1: our podcasting Absolutely. lives. We're huge fans, and uh, it's going to be awesome. You know, talking movies with him. He talks movies everywhere, uh, and more on that in a minute. But I want to dive right in to the production profile. This was written and directed by Ryan Johnson of Star Wars: The Last Jedi, Looper, The Brothers Bloom, and Brick. Knives Out, of course, stars Ana de Armas with another SAG member or two involved. That's <laughs> yeah, a decent cast. Uh, seriously, we're we're, <laughs> we're not going to be able. To give you six degrees of MMO challenges going forward. If movies like Knives Out, Endgame, Irishman, Tenet, Dune, if they keep coming out
0: and basically putting
1: everyone and everything. Remember when ensemble trouble.
0: movies were laughable? Like Valentine's yeah. Day and New Year? And now yeah. they're like great pieces of cinema. It's the best. Yeah, it's ruining our, our six degrees game. You're absolutely right. But to be serious, we do have here Christopher Plummer. He's playing Harlan, the patriarch of the thrombley Family. That's easy for me to say. His mm-hmm. kids are Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael Shannon, Tony Collette, Don Johnson, Chris Evans, Ricky Lindholm, Catherine Langford, Kate Callan, and Jaden Martell are also related. Daniel Craig, Lakeith Stanfield, and Noah Siga- Sagan. Sagan. Sing. Yeah, I can say that. Uh, Noah Sagan. Sagan. I can't say that word. <laughs> Is it S- Sagan? Stephen Seagal. <laughs> Steven Seagal's brother Noah, uh, Noah Sagan, are the fuzz. They are the detectives in this. Plus, you get Frank Oz as the lawyer, Edie Patterson as the housekeeper, and M. Emmett Walsh as the security guard. Great cast. Yes, Yes, loaded cast. Knives Out was shot in Boston and
1: throughout Massachusetts from October to December of 2018 for a budget of $40 million. Good for them. It debuted at TIFF on September 7th and released wide on November 27th to a tremendous worldwide box office take of just over 70 million, including 42 domestically. Great numbers. It's
0: currently at 75 worldwide after this Tuesday. That's a big deal, too, because the original projections were somewhere between 20 and 25 million, like we said in one of the recent WWs, and they almost doubled that domestically. Awesome job there. Some updated numbers and awards. Critical scores right now. This movie sits at a 97% on 330. 36 critic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got an 82 meta score. Those are high marks. Mm-hmm. Audience scores includes an 8.1 on IMDb and a 93% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. An opening weekend cinema score of an A minus. I'm surprised
1: by that because I thought with all the politics in here, all the Ryan Johnson backlash, it would get a little lower.
0: You thought it would have rubbed people the wrong way? I, I tell you, and I said this leading up to, I've seen literally one person disliked everybody this loves movie it. Yeah. everybody loves it so I don't know what that 97% about is about that's bullshit I think uh, <laughs> Knives Out has begun award season well by landing inclusion in the National Board of Review's Top 10 Films of the Year and it also won Best Ensemble at National Board of Review and Satellite Awards
1: so to get into a quick Oscar lens here I wanted to highlight the screenplay production design and score we're always you know summing up Clayton Davis of Award Circuit Scott Feinberg of Hollywood Reporter Matt Neglia of Next Best picture Picture. They all got those things contending, I think. At, uh, at the Oscars 7th, 8th, 10th, whatever but you know to talk about all the rest of the possibilities Daniel Craig, Anna De Armas Best Picture Director, those are all in like the teens and the 20s so that's probably not getting crossover noms everywhere mm-hmm. but it, it could show up
0: at the Oscars, I think it's going to show up at the Golden Globes Yeah, I would agree with that and also if it keeps winning Best Ensemble Awards and making the kind of money that it has been out of the gate, it right. may become much more of a factor come Oscar time. Anyway, it may be prime for a nice day at the Golden Globes like you said. I would agree with that and especially when you have those two categories breaking off. I think we said this one's going to be a comedy. Is that, yes, uh, it has. I, think that's what I would think it's so but I can't remember off the movies, top of my head. Yeah. One
1: of the funniest movies of the year. Yeah. Plot premise, to keep the ball rolling here, a detective investigates the death of a patriarch of an eccentric, combative family. Sure. <laughs> That's about right. <laughs> but uh, here's the fun part now, because we're going to introduce our guest host, my God, we are so damned lucky yeah, to have are. him on with us today. He is an awesome podcaster and comedian. You've heard him all over the podcast landscape with lots of guest spots, ranging from Comedy Bang Bang, he's been on that show a million times, Improv for Humans a million times there as well, and a bunch of headgum pods like We Hate Movies.
0: He was just on there last week. Yeah, he's also been a co-host of the Raised by TV podcast with alongside Lauren Lapkus there, his movie podcast Action Boys, and of course his long running High and Mighty Pod over at the HeadGum Podcast Network. Make sure to subscribe, of course, and rate all of those five stars because they are all certainly five-star worthy pods. But
1: somehow he's not just a podcaster. He's in the cast of this year's Bombshell. Awesome. Last year's Game Over Man on Netflix there. Also awesome. 2017's funny movie, The Little Hours. Yes. And uh, he's been all over TV as well. All your favorite comedies. You know, he does one-offs. He does recurring character roles there. Uh, He's been all over America, Mike, because he's (laughs) been on tour with his high and mighty podcast doing live shows we will tell you all
0: about his upcoming dates at the end of the show and it's him as he lovingly calls himself at the start of every high and mighty Mm -hmm. podcast episode intro your boy the number one fuck boy the number one fun boy we are so very lucky and proud and humbled to have john Gabris with us today here on mmo we'll see you guys on the outro on the line right now john Gabris. john thank you very much for joining us today
2: Oh hey, thanks for having me. Any chance I get to talk about movies and turn it into content is perfect. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> perfect guy for the job. So you picked out this movie to review for us and with us. What were you kind of expecting going into Knives Out?
2: Um, well, I've, I've been a fan of uh, Ryan Johnson stuff for a long time, and uh, I I love like '90s crime and courtroom thrillers are like my one of my favorite subgenres of movies mm-hmm. and. From there, one degree out further is whodunits, and I, I enjoy I enjoy them. I enjoy the mystery. Uh, I like the idea. It's sort of like an encapsulated experience. Like you take the entire ride, and it's solved by the end. Um, so I was looking forward to it. Plus. Once the cast was announced and you saw like those promotional photos of everyone, I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, this is going to be a this is going to be it's going to be at least not bad. Like I was not worried about like it had enough of the prestige people between Ryan and the director and the actors that I was just like, oh, this will be at least not bad. And it was not. It was at least not bad. It was good. It was very good.
1: Yeah. When whodunits are done right, I mean, there's there's some of the best, you know, movies and TV uh, out there. I mean, Sleuth, Clue, hell, Scream, the, the first three Scream movies. So, I mean, you said that you're you're a big fan of the genre. When I mean, We got Murder on the Orient Express last year with that mustache. You know, Knives <laughs> Out is crushing it this year. I mean, do you want the, one of these every single year? Or are you all for, you know, de-aging Angela Lansbury, you know, sometime next year?
2: Uh, yeah, I want. I want to see kill the Lansbury woman. Um, <laughs> um, the I want to. I I think like going back to those '90s thrillers that I was talking about. One of the things about them is that it's always a stacked cast. Like I always yeah. use this as an example, but Runaway Jury has like Luis Guzmán as a U five. Like the <laughs> L- Luis Guzmán's like the 40th most famous person in that movie, and that's what I like about these these whodunits, because they're such throwbacks, actors love doing them. So you get, like, like the cast of uh, Orient Express and the cast of Knives Out is just through the roof. Now, mm-hmm. I think Knives Out is just a much better movie and maybe mostly because it didn't have a distractingly weird johnny depp in it <laughs> good point it's also it's it's like the opposite of the old like Columbo
0: tv shows when you had the one other famous guy you're like oh that's the killer that's the one <laughs> you know this this that cast plays to that too
2: oh yeah like on Law and order when they're like oh is right it <laughs> stephen colbert i wonder if he's gonna come back <laughs> right right exactly
0: <laughs> So
1: one of like the standouts uh for a movie like this is the setting, you know, the production values. I mean, what do you guys think of this uh this mansion?
2: I mean, the mansion was dope. I saw a screening that Ryan Johnson did the Q&A for afterwards uh, out here in LA and awesome. uh, Ryan uh, he was explaining that they did they found that house. Like that house just exists. Like his locations and production people found it. And they decorated the fuck out of it and got all this weird art and shit. But it adds such a layer because it's sort of, uh, you know, out of time. Like mm-hmm. it's it, – this movie could take place in like – with almost all the specifics, this movie could take place in like the early 19th century or now. Yeah. And, you know, any time in between now. And that's kind of what's fun about it is that there's not like cell phones or Wi-Fi or any None of that shit comes into play and it's just sort of like a throwback Um and so the house being, it was the fact that it's such a mainstay in such a location that they stay in for so long, it's beautiful and it's weird, which is like all you could ask for in it. Did he mention anything during the
0: Q&A about that knife setup, that big circle of knives that was obviously the main I would ejection. have stabbed myself yeah. just by accident so many times.
2: It, it feels so weird because uh, he did not mention that at all. I, I do. I did really enjoy that. I was like, trying to understand what the link between being a mystery writer and having a huge throne of knives are. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're supposed to understand that whatever the fuck his name is, Thrombley or whatever, is kind of a weirdo. <laughs> Yeah,
0: uh, you know, I mean, that, that knife room really makes mine in my house pale by comparison, I gotta say. It was fucking gorgeous. My eyes could not stop staring at it, which obviously was the point. It's a giant bullseye, but...
2: Right. I, I like that you have your knife room, but that's just a Swiss Army knife in an easy chair. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's just a drawer where my silverware is, basically. Right. Ah, uh,
2: my knife room, a.k.a.
0: <laughs> and let's be honest, like, half of
1: the people in this movie that climb a trellis... Uh, they're falling off that trellis in real life. I'm falling (laughs) off that trellis in real life, but the setting, like it works into the plot,
2: like every single scene. It's one of those use the whole Buffalo movies, which I like where like anything that comes up eventually gets used. Um, We're in the spoiler free section. So I'm, I'm tiptoeing around here a little bit, but uh, just like, How how everything unfolds, like they it's like the perfect amount of trickle. Like you just get little bits of information, bing, 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 and then all of a sudden it all just starts hit it like unravels faster and faster. Much like Chris Evans sweater. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: <laughs> i mean uh, you know we don't need to hammer the point but i'm going to it's it's a fantastically written script and that's obviously ryan johnson obviously is a guy who's got a love for the genre and the whodunit uh the trope i haven't seen one yeah, this well tell. written in quite a while
2: yeah for sure
1: In terms of, you know, the rest of the production values, I mean, the cinematography, apparently they did, like, day for night shots. I mean, you've been on a lot of movie sets. Do you ever remember, you know, filming something during the day and then you you see that movie and it's like, what the fuck? It's a night
2: scene. (laughs) Has (laughs) that (laughs) ever (laughs) happened to you? Yeah, mostly just, but that's always indoor shit, so it's a little easier to fake. You just put, like, Uh, two uh, over the windows and pretend it's nighttime. You know, you block the outside light. But I don't know how they did that stuff outside. If they did, that seems wild. But for the, the behind-the-scenes thing that impresses me the most is getting all of these people to be on schedule and, like, hanging out. That. They, they, uh, Ryan said that uh, Don Johnson described it as sort of uh, summer stock theater because they were all just, like, sort of hanging out in a finished <laughs> basement, all the actors, <laughs> waiting their turns to go shoot their scenes or whatever. And I'm like, that sounds fucking... Imagine... Imagine getting to work on a movie set like this, but even more specifically, getting to sit in the green room or the trailers with, like, oh that cast of people. You're like, I'm sitting here with Don Johnson, Michael Shannon, and Jamie Lee Curtis. Right, right. It's on. I mean,
0: Jamie Lee Curtis had on her Instagram not too long ago pictures of the whole cast doing, doing exactly what you just described. Literally just hanging out in, like, this small little stairwell, and oh, they're all just shooting the shit and talking to each other between scenes.
2: I saw that on Noah Sagan's uh, Instagram. So, it was so good. Um, and also, this is as, this is apropos of nothing. But as uh, a, a heterosexual male, I just got to say, holy shit, Jamie Lee Curtis is fucking beautiful. Yeah,
0: she is. She's unreal. Is an
2: absolute stunner. And the gray hair. You can tell me she's thirty eight or fifty eight, and I believe you. And she's <laughs> she's beautiful she we, that's one of the things we've been talking about all
0: year is like the 50 and 60 year olds in hollywood is like the new 30 brad pitt from once upon a time in hollywood jennifer lopez and hustlers jamie lee curtis here all these 50 and 60 year olds they look i mean they're in far better shape than i ever was John Gabris on tv <laughs> exactly him too yeah, yeah well, just sex pots all over
2: uh, fucking once upon a time in hollywood broke my mind in that when, <laughs> when he takes his shirt off i was like holy shit this is amazing Also, this dude is 20 years older than me. Right! (laughs) Older than him now. I'm 37. That dude is fucking 17 Uh, years older than me. That scene is insane. As
1: we all do. (laughs) Uh, To finish up production values, I mean, some of this music is really fun. Like, I think... Roxy Music, more than this, that should be in like every movie, and Tony Collette should be dancing in it, Sundown by Gordon Lightfoot in the bar, Sweet Virginia at the end with the Rolling Stones, what'd you guys think of the music?
0: Yeah, John, did you know, I, I we were talking before this, I was kind of, I'm usually the one that picks up on, on the songs and soundtrack, mm-hmm. I couldn't remember any of them, Mike had to replay some of them, did any songs stick out to you in any scene or anything like that? No, it's weird, because
2: as you were saying that, I'm like, I'm trying to remember I remember, i like, I remember Tony Colette dancing. I don't remember much else music wise. <laughs> I would it for me, it was a, a visual movie. Um, like, and maybe I just that's why I missed it. But I'm usually pretty good at picking up on uh, score and soundtrack shit. But all over my head, I'm realizing, and, and I'm glad to see that me and the one of the mics. Are in agreement on that.
1: <laughs> well, I was listening to the score this morning. I'm that kind of nerd. Like, I'll listen to it while I'm writing shit and whatever. I, I kept it on. I thought I was just going to, like, familiarize myself with it again. But it, it's really good. This guy, Nathan Johnson, scored the, the film. He did an awesome job. Play the Ponies is the trailer song. And it, it's, re- it's really cool as well. But I think, you know, the main event here is this cast. Like, you, like we've been saying, you do need a cast like this. Everybody's got to be suspicious, right? John... Would you wanna play in a movie like this? And what kind of character would you wanna be? The red herring, the wrongfully accused, the murderer, the sleuth? Well, who do you Ooh, want to be in this?
2: I, I would of course want to be the sleuth because I want to be like the winner, the dude. Like <laughs> but, but more importantly, um I just I would kill to be part of I would kill to just have something that is, you know, one of those scene um moments that are up for debate. Like I'd love for it to be like, but Gabrus, your character went into the kitchen at five and didn't come out till 530. And it's like, we see like six possibilities. I just want to be able to shoot options, you know, like when it's like, well, I believe Gabrus went in and did this, this and this and we show that and then it's another I want to I want to have that experience. And those are,
1: like, the funnest parts to play, like, because all detectives nowadays, especially in Whodunits, like, Lisbeth Salander, the mustache, you know, uh, I mean, new James Bond here talking like C- Colonel Sanders. I mean, they're the weirdest yeah. characters. They're the most eclectic.
2: Um, yeah, uh, it's it's so fun. Like, the small character, like, being a small character in an ensemble like this would be a dream come true. Also, just to jump back to something real quick, Nathan Johnson is Ryan Johnson's cousin. Oh, I cool. Learned- I learned that at the uh, Q&A and he's like – he's uh, composed every single one of my movies and then there was a pause and he goes, I mean, except Star Wars. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> he's like, I had to give him this – I had to get him this gig because I effed him over by uh, not letting, not having any work for him for 15 months while I worked on Star <laughs>
0: Oopsies. <laughs> Awkward Thanksgiving. It happens.
2: Yeah, Imagine being pissed at your cousin for getting Star Wars. Right, exactly.
0: <laughs> How dare you not let me replace John Williams.
2: Yeah. Look, I get it. Ba, 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 ba.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you do it from
0: memory.
2: I'm, I'm mm-hmm. in. Uh,
1: I, I do think we would spoil the movie if we kind of get into the performances too much. But I was wondering, like, who's the scene stealer of the film? I- I'm saying it's Noah Sagan. I mean, I-, I thought him as Trooper Wagner was, like, the best. I mean, just give me an hour of him. But, I mean, Daniel Craig. I mean, who do you guys think? Scene stealer of the movie?
2: Uh, I think the scene stealers of the movie for me were Noah. and maybe I'm going to – maybe it's a little transparent that my scene stealers are the comedic relief. Mm-hmm. And I love Trooper Wagner – uh, he had some great one lines that just fit into the uh, flow of the movie. But I, I thought Michael Shannon was wildly funny. And, like, I just, he's such an interesting actor. I have a hard time not, like, diving into his face as he continues to act. <laughs> <laughs> he's got such a movie star head and face that you're just, like, watching the film and you're like, Jesus, this guy's interesting. Everything he does is, like, charismatic and, and weird and interesting.
1: Do you think he's got to, like, uh, have it rough in real life? Because, I mean, he's got that face that's kind of scary, though. He's like Willem Dafoe, where, like, he probably just startles people left and right, where people probably, you know, because you're funny all the time, you, they laugh when you show up. That guy's got to have people, you know, jump-scaring all the time.
2: <laughs> I uh, I used to actually live in the same neighborhood as Michael Shannon. I think he still lives in, like, Red Hook, Brooklyn. Um, really? Cause I think he's a part owner of cafe defiance or one of the cafes or restaurants out in red hook. And mm-hmm. I used to see him on the F train every once in a while. And he's like six, four, six, five or something like that. And he would be on the train in like Chuck Taylor's like calf, like knee high, like gym socks shorts and like a Hawaiian shirt. He'd be dressed like a freak tourist, like a, like, like a 13 year old skater from the nineties, like truly. And I'd be like, that's definitely Michael Shannon. <laughs>
0: You could have given me a hundred guesses about Michael Shannon's everyday attire, and right. I was not landing on that combination.
2: That's what I'm saying. I'm like I wouldn't be I, I, I just picture him in like uh, frumpy tweed like res, res, <laughs> right. shit. but and I'm like, oh, of course, he's like a dude who chooses to live in Brooklyn. He's gonna be a little bit of a weirdo. and it, <laughs> it, it, it really like made him seem uh, more harmless, you know. Yeah, and I think he i mean—he needs that because, like Mike was saying,
0: he's a very intimidating president. I mean, he played that Iceman, uh, that movie, oh, a couple of years ago, and he was perfect for it. Oh, and that's okay. what that, But, but what's, what's interesting to me about this cast is, like, every one of these people is just wildly dynamic as an actor i mean tony collette you can't be naturally that terrifying in hereditary and naturally that good at playing like a healing crystal hippie in this movie and be (laughs) the same actress you can't be the same person and she was awesome as both and they all got a job to do right i mean they all got to make you
1: suspicious uh, of them i mean that, that is their job whether they're you know behind it or not how would you play a red herring? I wonder. I, I'm asking you a lot of process questions. Are you method? You know what? What would you do? Would you? Would you? You know, mess with people
2: like crazy? I'm hoping. Uh, that's real. That's really a good question. I, it, you gotta. It's weird. They have to make themselves believable that they could potentially be the killer, but also at the same time, they have to sell you that there's no way they could kill. Uh, <laughs> no. So that's like a weird. And I, I think. I never really thought about this, but as you were saying it, Mike, I was like, I think I would just have to, if I knew I was shooting a red herring scene, I would shoot it like it was going down, like I mm-hmm. like I was really doing it, and then figure out justification for my behavior. Like, maybe I walk kind of sketchy, but I'm, my character's doing it to look like a killer, but really I'm doing it to, you know, watch my step on the creaky floor or whatever. <laughs> You have to have sort of like a two faced uh, inspiration for all your actions, is what
1: you got to write like a journal of you know character backstory for yourself, like you're neurotic like uh, Jack Nicholson and what was that mo- Oscar movie that he won
0: uh, stuff for
2: as good as it gets. As good as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> what
0: we what we got to do is get Gabrus in the new Clue remake that's happening, so yes. we can film all those scenes where he's you know murdering it one Help. way and then he's innocent <laughs> the next. Let me be Colonel Mustard yeah exactly (laughs) that's what i'm saying man (laughs) although i wish they wouldn't touch clue we that's a debate we i like i love jason bateman i love ryan reynolds we talk about this all the time so i
2: i want to believe and trust them but yeah i I don't why how do you mess with clue i really like jason bateman and ryan reynolds too but they're if i'm being honest they're not making neither of them have made an a movie in a long time yeah and They're sort of delivering B pluses and B min- in between B minus and B pluses frequently, which is wonderful for movies. Thank right. God we have a bunch of B B level movies, not B movies, but not you know. But Clue with the two of them, it just already like you would have to tell me it's Clue with um, you know Donald Glover and. Michael Pena, and I'd be like, "Now that sounds interesting." But
0: that does sound interesting.
2: <laughs> these two, like late forties white dudes, in Clue—a movie that is chock full of white people—and mm. was already very good. It, I just stuff like that bothers me. It's like, just make a Who Done It. Make another Who Done It. Like, look what Knives Out did. Brian Johnson did not reboot Clue. Um, he's fucking like, it's so like, if you want to make a Who Done It, why do you have to make Clue? Just make a new Who Done It.
1: <laughs> so we wanted to ask you about where you fall on the original property versus like franchise stuff. I mean, we know you're a, a fan and a fanboy in your in your own way, but this is really exciting because we get this potential new franchise, maybe, but it's definitely an original property, and it's crushing it at the box office right now.
2: Yeah, that's what I'll say. I don't even. I hope it's not a franchise. I hope mm. that the next Ryan Johnson wants to make another movie with Daniel Craig, and he goes in a completely different direction, or you know, like is it another Daniel Craig mystery? Like, is it another Benoit mystery? Mm-hmm. I don't care. I'm just so excited right now in this moment that an original movie, um, it with a big cast is out and it has minimal CGI and it. Yeah and is not a board game or a fucking toy that I grew up playing with.
0: <laughs> or, yeah, or a video game adaptation. Or a video game
2: adaptation, or a reboot of one of my favorite movies from when I was a child.
0: No. Yeah, I, you're fitting right in, because this is stuff we holler about all the time. Like, we are desperate to have more original properties get not only you know come out, but also have proper funding behind them from major, or at least mid-major studios. So uh, you're speaking to the choir here, absolutely.
2: Yeah, I know. And it's so hard, and like, it's crazy that it's 2019... And my favorite movies, the movies I'm desperate for this year, are a Quentin Tarantino movie, a Martin Scorsese movie, and a Safdie Brothers movie. It's like, right. yeah, <laughs> like that's what I'm here for. I don't give a fuck. Like, I like the Marvel shit. I like the Star Wars shit. But I want to just see new stuff at the yep. theater. I want to see stuff that, like, I haven't seen before or I don't know exactly what's going to happen. And maybe it's exclusively actors and sets and practical effects. And I don't have to leave with, like, a weird motion sickness headache. We got to get you
0: a mountaintop so you can preach from it for more often because this is all beautiful to my ears.
2: Yeah, you can listen to the podcast Action Boys where me, Ben Rockers, and Ryan Stanger literally scream about how much we hate CGI nonstop.
1: (laughs) Francesa might be great in Uncut Gems, by the way. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm watching all the clips and my God, is he stealing scenes. I... uh, I can't
2: believe uh, Mike is in that movie. That's so but, exciting.
0: <laughs> and I am like that he's not even playing himself. Like, they actually bothered giving him a character name that's not Mike or Francesa. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so the
1: script is the star of the show. I mean, we kind of mentioned some script thoughts here and non-spoilers, but it's hard to talk about it. I, I did want to you know, bring up one thing. You know, that Last Jedi backlash... You know that came out a year ago. Uh, am I missing something because I didn't see any Easter eggs? I didn't see any like you know I was right to characterize Luke Skywalker the way I did from Ryan Johnson's symbolism in this thing. Did you guys notice anything
2: in Knives Out? Right. Yeah. Whoa, no, I don't even. I I, I wasn't even weirdly enough. And this is more of a comment commentary on the movie. Uh, the uh, Star Wars. I it hasn't been in my mind since I saw it in the theater. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I don't mean that to be as harsh as it came across, but like, oh, I wonder was there was there any Easter eggs in Knives Out, or like, can we do a can we make a big stretch and hypotheses here? Was there? Did you guys think you saw one? I don't think so. And I,
1: I scoured the internet, you know, last night looking for it. I mean, the only thing was like Jaden Martell, that character, you know, the kid from It. Kara Hadash at Screen Rant was like, I mean, that's representative of the backlash and all the trolls that got on Ryan Johnson's nerves
0: there. But I, I don't see it. I mean, to me, it's like a stretch. Yeah, and he was on record, Ryan Johnson, of saying that the the backlash from Star Wars went Inspired into this yeah, script. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. So that's so what I don't I was know like, if it was certain characters, or, right. but I don't think there was anything blatant, but with. See, I mean, he's so great at what he does. I don't think it would be blatant either. You know what I mean?
2: My guess would be if I could uh, make a bunch of assumptions on behalf of Ryan Johnson. Please, <laughs> please. Absolutely. I, I feel like what he's when he says the backlash inspired the script, I feel like he means the backlash inspired him to write the script. Like, let me just make a non-fucking Star Wars movie where there's not a bunch of people ready to come after me about it. Let me just make an original property. You know... You work on a you work on a movie like Star Wars. You're you're spending you know a year to two years like just in the fucking throes of uh, Lucasfilm shit. So you True. assume like he's like when he gets done with that, he's like, let me just write a fucking screenplay that I can be in charge of that doesn't have to have a bunch of you know uh, big time execs and and Disney Plus rules coming at me. And I feel like that is probably more what I would imagine. It's like. Oh, you know, like I made a Star Wars movie. You guys are mad at me. It's not. I didn't even make any of these decisions. It's a Star Wars. Just you know, it's Star right. Wars. It's a corporation. I just made a movie for them. Um, so I can imagine at that point, like I, I know I would be like, "Well, fuck you, guys. like fuck everyone." I'm just gonna make a movie. If I'm gonna get roasted anyway, might as well make a movie I want to make. I'm gonna have a throne of knives
1: if I want to because <laughs> I want to. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. Makes makes <laughs> a lot of sense. Yeah.
2: I did love. I did love that kid you're referring to, the uh, the troll, the alt right troll. He was like sort of like the Ben Shapiro proxy. Like they were were all roasting him constantly. It was it was very funny. Like and just just the right amount of touch to it. It didn't become too like saccharin or anything, or like too preachy. They were just sort of like, "What are you uh, trying to swat Syrian refugees or whatever?" (laughs) This is funny. (laughs) And the most deference
0: they give that character is like, oh, he was masturbating in the bathroom. Everyone just <laughs> constantly refers to him like the Nazi that. boy, <laughs> furiously <laughs> masturbating in the bathroom. All right, one spoiler for the non-spoiler section. We got to
1: get into spoilers here, but uh, I mean, final recommendations. I mean, how would you guys, you know, recommend people watch this movie? Go see it. Go see it with a group. What do you think?
2: Um, I, I th- it's a great, it's a great post, uh, post movie conversation movie, like. Yeah. Um, I, and this is specific to me, but I feel like it's it's probably more universal than you think. This is a great movie to see with your mom, dad, in-laws, older family. It's because mm. it's a throwback movie. It's not super complex. There's, and because it's not a franchise movie, you don't have to be like, that's Ant-Man, him and the Wasp are dating, you know, you don't have to do any of that fucking, like, right. your mom or your mother-in-law can just sit in the theater and be like, oh, this is fun, I recognize most of these act. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, like, it doesn't feel unusual, and so I took my in-laws... And it was really fun, and the drive home from the theater was a lot of like, oh, see, I always thought it was going to be blank. I'm, not, I'm still not trying not to do spoilers here. Uh, <laughs> oh, I thought it was going to be blank. Oh yeah, I, oh good, oh right. And now that we know the answer, remember this, this, and this. And it was like a, it was a lot of fun seeing it with someone. Although I'm a huge proponent of seeing movies alone, so if if stopping you from seeing it is needing someone to go with you, I say get in the the car, get on the train, and go see it yourself. I I love a lot of things that you answered about that. One,
0: I I agree you should see this with people, but absolutely the bottom line is just see it because it's a great movie. And two, referencing what you were talking about before, John, just if you want original properties, get your ass to the theater and spend the money to see this on a screen because that's what's going to help get more of these made
2: anyway. But yeah, absolutely, go see this regardless of what you're going to do. It's crazy that we live in a world where movies can be so successful that we have to be like, get out there and see the new Ryan Johnson movie right. starring these 10 absolutely famous <laughs> actors. And we're like, please go see it, people. We want more movies like this. And th- like we're not even dipping our toe into like indie territory here. We're just saying like, please, we just got to see a movie without cars that turn into robots. like. <laughs>
0: Amen. It's Amen. not a high bar to cross, right? <laughs> now. That's
2: all I'm asking for is leave the fucking robots alone. <laughs>
1: Although there's a lot of like you know old timey robots in the setting, but I guess
0: we'll get into that in spoilers. The knife thing could have came to life. That whole knife mm-hmm. wall could have been a hell of a transformer. Well, they like yeah. had a
1: guy donate all these from his like personal collection, automatons or whatever they were. That was like a big thing. I was reading about it this morning. In this movie? In this movie, it donated him to the mansion, and he took them back afterwards. And Ryan Johnson, everybody was upset. Like I would want to touch everything.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, I, Ryan mentioned that in the Q and A that. Um, all the automatons, and the weird, a lot of the weird art was like from one dude. And oh no shit! Yeah, they're super expensive and crazy, and he, he this one guy, fucking gave, gave them all to the set for the duration of the movie. Well, how about, <laughs> how about that?
1: All right, so let's let's dance. Let's go into spoilers. We play a spoiler warning dance music here, and uh, we'll discuss the plot. Cool. Spoilers ahead. This
0: is a spoiler warning. Spoilers. This is the spoiler section of the Oscar Sprint Profile of Knives Out, brought to you by Mike Mike and Oscar, featuring our very special guest, John Gabris, on the line here. If you've not seen this movie yet, uh, this is a good place for you to hit pause, head to your theater, and do please head to your theater and spend your money to go see this. We'll be waiting for you to come back and hit play on us afterwards. If you've seen the movie already, if you're just curious to hear our thoughts, or if we've hyped up the spoiler section for you so much in the non-spoiler section that you cannot possibly go another minute without hearing our thoughts, this is where you want to be. All spoilers all the time, the Oscar Sprint Profile of Knives out brought to you by mike mike and oscar with our special guest john Gabris on the line so let's start at the end here guys john the big reveal it's ransom it's chris evans captain america is a dirty feely scoundrel (laughs) did you see it coming beautiful scoundrel
2: um i i here's the thing i'm and this is what i liked about the movie is the whole time i thought he was a red herring Mm-hmm. Um I was like oh it's too obvious that it's him it's so obvious that it's him and then it was just him when it was him I was like ah oh, fuck they got me. like <laughs> <laughs> mission accomplished like exactly how <clears throat> I thought it would go down uh, like oh yeah it can't be him it can't possibly be him it's so obviously him and then it, so it's definitely not him and I like did the work to get away from it and as I did that I was like holy shit no it is him <laughs> yeah
0: it reminded me a lot and Mike brought up Scream before it reminded me of the first Scream with with the boyfriend Billy Loomis mm. and it's like the whole time you're made to believe it's Billy Loomis but it's so painfully obvious it can't possibly be Billy Loom and it's Billy Loomis and sorry if I spoiled Scream for everyone out there but well, you're it's Billy Loomis
2: section it doesn't matter what movie we're spoiling them all great point great point it's It's Brad Pitt's wife's head in the box at the end of Seven.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Every guess I had in this movie was wrong, and I was like the annoying movie gover, whispering as I went with my brothers over Thanksgiving break, whispering in their ears, this is what's going to happen. I felt like (laughs) such an asshole walking out of there. I almost liked it less because of that, but it was like such a strange plot, too, and I think the marketing – has to factor in guys because like we think it's going to be a who done it to the very end and it still is sort of that but what did you guys think of when we're shown how Christopher Plummer he dies early on was that a little disappointing
2: i mean was it crazy what did you think it was it was weird i like that's what i liked about it like the the layout of the movie the outline of the movie was not like anything i've seen before
0: i'm with you there
2: and, and that knowing that how it goes down so early in the movie but like Having to figure out another layer to it 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 was uh interesting i for, I, I mean i I'm overusing that word, but it was riveting maybe um the whole, <laughs> the whole time i thought I thought this was gonna be all and they were clearly setting us up that it could be this too, giving us the clues that it could be. All Christopher Plummer playing a major mystery to see who wins the um, inheritance or see who gets the inheritance. But as he kept unfolding, you were like, oh, no, it's not that weird. What is it going to be then? And it's like a magic trick with the script
1: there because at the end of that reveal after we see what happens it closes the book on so many questions and it takes kind of a while for us to like get the whole new set of questions it's it's a strange phenomenon this this guy taps into where he, he you know we're we're left stunned in that moment and then he slowly unveils the
0: next you know driving questions of the narrative and, and it takes such a deft touch too on on, on the yeah. script's part because we, we've we yelled and pounded the table previously about scripts that reveal, first of all, when the marketing is deceitful, which this was, for all intents and purposes, deceitful marketing, because like John just said, and we're saying this wasn't about the Christopher Plummer death per se, it was about things surrounding the Christopher Plummer death, so you have this whole new plot and this whole new premise of this movie introduced uh, like halfway through, and we all buy into it, because it's just that well written, and it just flows that well, and the performances are that great. I think this is really a testament to the directing and the writing here.
2: Yeah, yeah. For real, it's it's riveting. They give you information at a great rate. They're not withholding. Uh, the fact that in hindsight there wasn't really any red herrings makes you like respect Ryan. John- like he didn't have to hit you with a red herring and make mm-hmm. you feel fooled at any point. Um, some some great moments that uh, were part of the reveal when that dog comes running up with a piece of trellis, and- <laughs> yeah, and it's timed so perfectly. It's like. It, it like he jogs completely up, like the dog. Come, you could see it from deep in the background when uh, uh, Benoit is talking to Marta, uh, when they're talking uh, when Al- Ana de Armas or whatever. Um, when the dog is, they're just talking and the dog is running up in the middle. You're like, oh my god! <laughs> but it's so fucking funny.
0: <laughs> and by the way, these are like the worst detectives ever, right? Because they're missing so much but obvious stuff. It's kind of trying to be, at least Daniel Craig is. Well, but, but they're being undone by a woman who is a first-time murderer mm. who literally physically cannot lie to them because she throws up, and she's just hiding videotapes and throwing pieces of trestle that fell off. Well, and... that's why it's kind of fun, because Daniel Craig is
1: seeing all this, and he's wise to it from right. the beginning, but you're wondering, and that's why you should play one of these characters, John, because, I mean, there's so much to do because there's so much subtext where Daniel Craig is like... Basically, pretending to like ham it up like he doesn't know what's going on, right? And he does well.
2: That's what that's what I liked a lot about it was that you had no idea like how smart Daniel Craig actually was, and he just played it enough where you're like, Oh, he's either just an esoteric genius or a big dummy. (laughs) And And then he has that weird, like sort of, uh, Southern, you know, Colonel Sanders accent that lends it him to like, for us to be a little more naive about how he might like, and there's a lot of stuff going on where you're like, Oh, maybe it is that simple. And like Ryan Johnson, it's a very simple mystery. He pretty much tells us what happens halfway through the movie. Um, but because of the acting and like the writing of how, how Benoit gets around to it, how each character reacts to every piece of news—it really keeps you guessing. And, and it does rely a little bit on our knowledge or our feelings towards Who Done It, and it plays into that a little bit too, which I think is just makes it such a stronger movie. Like. They know we're going to be sitting there trying to guess so that when they give us the easy answer and we're like, no way it's Chris Evans. His sweater is way too cute. And then, <laughs> look, all this shit happens. I'm, I, like, truly obsessed with Chris Evans' sweater in this movie. I need it so bad. Yeah. <laughs> Who is your tailor? Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could wear the
1: coat from that movie, but I'm too short. I'm too short and stubby. But, guys, like, we're talking about bests already. We can't help it. I, let's, let's go through those now. I mean, we start off in, like... Full interrogation mode with the setup. I mean, we get right into the interviews there. I mean, it's funny. I could have spent the whole movie you know, in their mind's eye of the reflections back to the party. I mean, every single callback was hilarious
0: or was crazy and unreliable narrators. What'd you guys think of the setup? It sticks with that trope for a while too. I thought that was going to be the entirety of the movie, just Mm. the investigation and the questions. And that's, that's good for like a good 20 to 25 minutes before we actually see the rest of the house and the days going by and stuff like that. But I'm with you. I was sold and waiting on every, every last word and the editing job. My God. Jamie Lee Curtis is like, I'm not gonna talk bad about my brother, and it cuts right to Don Johnson, who's just spilling the beans about everything i, I was dying.
2: There was a few good moments like serious like uh smash twos that undid the previous uh scene which i uh, which I absolutely love the fucking uh hitting the piano key, the little ding ding. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's such a fun little – and you're like, ooh, is this going to come back into play? And then you're like, wait, who cares? This is just fun, weird Benoit doing his shit. And I, and I like that there wasn't like the – you see so many archetypes. I, I mean so many tropes where it's like the bumbling detective, the detective who doesn't believe Benoit, who thinks yeah. – who's trying to – you know, the classic like the feds think it's their case but it's ours kind of thing mm-hmm. from every movie. But – Uh, I thought that Lakeith Stanfield and Noah Sagan and uh, Daniel Craig all played off each other nicely where you're like – who actually is the smartest person here? Who am I rooting for? Who is the most grounded in reality? And the answer just—you never really know, <laughs> which is wild.
0: Yeah, you, you make a great point that there wasn't really combative force of on the te- detective side because Sagan was kind of like the the comedy relief. But Lakeith Stanfield's character really wanted to learn and was like prying information out of Daniel Craig because he was chasing it the whole time, whereas Daniel Craig was ahead of the game the whole time. It was yeah. a really cool dynamic to see for Who Done It.
2: I feel like uh, Lakeith Stanfield's character is our audience proxy. Like he, yeah. he has the information we have, and his questions and his his design, his like the knowledge he wants is uh, what we have and want. Like I think he's supposed to be our stand-in because he's kind of smart but doesn't know all the information. Needs Daniel Craig to give him some. And shit. So I, I I really dug that about it. and And I mean, Lakeith Stanfield and anything is going to be good. So this is, this he's is awesome.
1: awesome. It's a sneaky, great performance from him. Cause like you said, he's the straight man. And, and you know, a lot of people are making jokes around it, but he does get a couple of good jokes in, like they're walking through the woods and he's making fun of Noah Sagan about loving the novels. And well, all Michael
0: Shannon and Don Johnson are going to start fighting. And he's just <laughs> standing there watching them, not trying to intervene.
2: Yeah. yeah. So he's still hitting it. Uh, that was a great scene when they got up in each other's grill, it made me laugh. This is the perfect Thanksgiving
0: movie, by the way. True. You have, like... You have like the the child manipulation. You have c- political conversations revealing casual racism amongst white people. Ugh. Like this is this is the perfect Thanksgiving movie in the way that Die Hard is a perfect Christmas movie. I think this is going to be inextricably like intertwined with the Thanksgiving holiday for years to come. Could be. Just because of the family dynamic just drives everyone batshit crazy. Yeah, much like that holiday.
2: Yeah, it is like they all go back to dad's house. They're all hanging out at dad's right. house for a long weekend. Things are out of hand. A lot of old dramas coming up. There's uh, racist uncles and racist nephews, and, right. and weird. You know, uh, everyone's trying to fuck each other over and shit. Uh, that was a fun runner with uh, Marta's characters. Like, well, her family's in Brazil. You know, like, yeah. I just kept saying, well, she's Ecuadorian, and they're hard. <laughs>
1: It killed me, just killed me, Uruguay, Paraguay, every time that killed me, and uh, there was a lot of, like, runners, the recurring jokes there, I mean, the baseball, the baseball is getting thrown around everywhere, and it was a limp throw out the window, I don't know who threw that, that was the wimpiest throw, <laughs> it had to be, like, the grandma or something, but, I mean, the, the shoe that kept showing her shoes, the dogs keep coming back in, the, the grandma herself, I mean, all the thrombies, guessing, you know, Marta's from a different country, did you guys notice any little things that, uh, like, Easter eggs or anything that you want here's
2: something i wanted to point out which um really just makes it such an obvious choice like um literally at one point benoit says dogs are a great judge of character yes a minute later the dogs are barking at chris evans yeah i went again the other night and i saw that i was like i should have known right from there (laughs) right it's literally uh ransom is the only person the dogs ever bark at and we hear them bark that night that wakes up, um, Langford. Um, and then you're like, Oh, so <laughs> in hindsight, that was Chris we, like the only person we've seen him bark at. And it's such a, it's such an obvious answer. And then you're like, Oh fuck, I didn't even pick up on that. And all the clues were right there.
0: And you know, what's crazy too about that is that, so we're presented with the information that the dogs are barking at like 2am or 3am and it wakes up the Meg character. And then they, he does not mention that he does such a good job of hiding that fact and focusing on every other fact about the night when figuring out the, the murder that that's like, it comes back as a big reveal, even though we know it already at the end of the movie, we're like, Oh yeah,
2: the fucking yeah, dogs. He, they, they, he gave us enough, uh, you know, flash and shit to look that wasn't to look at. That wasn't that right. And Masterful. It reminded you back again. You're like, Oh shit. Right. Right. <laughs> So I wanted to talk to you
1: about like the comedy in this movie, and especially in a script like this, because like to me, every time I'm laughing in this movie, I'm I'm stopping my brain from going on overdrive into thinking about you know who's who who did it, right? So there's a ton of jokes. Like Noah Sagan cuts it like a knife. Lakeith Stanfield has a few. They all get a few jokes in this movie, and that's what's so cool about this. What, what do you think about the role of comedy here?
2: Well, I think comedy is important in a movie like this because you don't want to go fully like. Don't forget, an old man was murdered. Like, you know, right. like <laughs> at its core, it's a very depressing premise. You know. Very like, true. Um, so if you can like not be reminded of that, and you can just see how cool everyone is, and like people being funny too, reminds you of like this. It makes it feel real because like families are like that. Um, and then also, it lets you laugh, lets you get a little tension release, and then also lets you forget a thing or two. Or, you know, it's just like a magician who hits you with like one of his one-liners while he's doing a little sleight of hand, so you miss it, you know what I mean?
0: I love that comparison. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And there was, there was comedy in places that even though it was being played dead serious sometimes, like when when the will reading is being given out and it's revealed Marta gets everything and Jamie Lee Curtis is so irate and she just said, were you boinking my father? And somebody in the background, boinking. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I was so impressed with Anna de Armas in this
1: movie. I mean, this was something deliberate from Ryan Johnson because he loves, like, Hitchcockian thrillers maybe even a little bit more than these whodunits because those are based on you know like wrongfully accused protagonists i mean what do we think when we were left with like anna de armas as the protagonist of this ridiculously
2: awesome cast i mean it's pretty awesome like it's really a great inspired casting choice to have like the sweetest possible looking person Mm. and also the only like, I mean, besides Lakeith Stanfield, but like the only person (laughs) of color in the movie is the, uh, the only two people of color in the movie are the, uh, detective investigating the case and the, uh, suspect, which is just such like a, and let's, let's all these old money kind of, uh, one percenter, uh, upper crust racist kind of stuff leak out a little bit, which is really cool. Mm. Uh, Um, And you feel instant sympathy for her. You know what I mean? Like um, like you're immediately on her side to the point where you find out like she may have actually been the killer. She's hiding the fact that she killed and you're OK with it. That like – that's just a, that a lot about her as an actress that we're like – I'm still with her, despite her looking down the barrel of the lens and saying, "I killed the main character of this movie." You're like, "Oh, she's great!" <laughs> <laughs> and what I mean, the
1: methodology kind of works in this movie too. Like, I mean, the simple procedural nature of it—it it does connect together. It's a really clever script. I mean, did, I mean, we're going to get into worse in a minute, but I mean, especially when you got monologues from Daniel Craig about all those donut holes and whatnot. I mean. What, what stood out to you guys in terms of like, you know, the the, the real structure of the screenplay? Anything there?
2: Um, I, I liked uh, Edie Patterson ended up having like such a major part of the, like, you know, she's kind of like dusted throughout the movie, and then she's got this like, really e- eerie, arguably gruesome sort of sequence that she had. Yeah. Um, and also, um, I, I, I might have read this on IMDb after the fact, it might not be a real original thought, but um, uh, Marta's character she never has a different motive other than doing what she thinks is right in every yes. moment
0: and that's the whole undoing of the plot at the end is that she decides to not cover herself and tries to save the Fran character that undoes Ransom at the end of the episode
2: right, right, undoes Ransom and then like every decision she's made the whole way uh, um, every decision she's made the whole way just kind of like makes you and then when when they late when uh benoit lays it all out you're like oh she is just weirdly stuck in the course that this this situation has given her she's not making any negative choices everyone else is being like a sketchball or a scumbag or whatever and she's just sort of winding through doing what she has to do yeah i think there's in what you're hitting on and you kind of almost said it out right before too there's
0: a great political and social narrative oh, yeah. being oh, yeah. woven throughout this entire script with how with the constant the the issue of immigration right now in this country that Definitely. so many people are taking a batshit angle on and it, it, i mean i don't think it's any mistake that the main protagonist and one of the detectives are the only people of color and that it's all about these white people that are all well to do and have their nose up in the air and when you peel back the onion just a little bit you see they are not not only terrible people but also horrible racists in their own right even though they think there's nothing wrong with them uh, i think it's a Again, no mistake, and I think it's very obvious, and I think it's very, very well written and very well done.
2: A lot of, like, uh, my father always liked me because I was re- I brought myself up on my own bootstraps. Then we revealed the million-dollar loan. We right, like- <laughs> that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, that sounds rather familiar. They, they all believe themselves to be, like, special, important people, and they're all millionaires fighting over billions, which is just, mm-hmm. like it's so indicative of like uh, what's happening in America and arguably the world, but definitely more on rampant display in our country.
1: Oh yes, sir. Amen. Again. I mean, you're preaching throughout this episode. I love it. Uh, I do want to, you know, get into worse soon, but any more best scenes? I mean, we can probably gush about the best things in this movie. There's so many great setups and payoffs, but any more best there, John, if we're doing, if we're doing uh,
2: best spoilers, that fucking fake knife at the end, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that was so good that was so good and Chris, Chris Evans I mean I know we're, we're taking shots at the MCU too
0: I think the MCU has helped Chris Evans acting a ton because I think he was so he's got that charming palpable like charismatic oh shucks boy is me look about him True. but yet he's still able to play this asshole at the end of the day so he was a great red herring but even in that scene he's playing
2: this thoroughly aggressive asshole and he it's so believable oh hell yeah uh they're also ryan johnson's getting a little bit of juice and a little bit of uh us thinking differently about chris evans because he's played captain america and ten yes, yeah. or whatever um so him doing that you're like oh okay that's that's it and, and evans is great i mean i'm i've been a fan of his since not another teen movie he's yes, very, yes. I mean, he's very funny <laughs> in that movie
1: Nice turtleneck. Yeah, I love that movie.
2: I quoted that movie like an idiot
1: for years, and I still do. The receiver getting cut in half to the oh, Foo Fighters' God. hero song. Oh my makes God! Oh, yeah. <laughs> great movie. All right, so we'll get into a few worse. I guess we'll probably make a spin, and that it's still good anyway with most of these things. But I definitely have something that I, I have to preach about myself. Chris Evans is eating like cookies throughout that whole great scene where he's like, "Eat shit, eat shit, eat shit." I hate it when skinny people eat fat shit in movies or when the fittest people on earth eat mcdonald's on commercials <laughs> it's never guys like me ordering 17 dollars of food in a drive through and then eating it all
0: alone in their car i mean do you guys have any pet peeves about this movie john you should know something about mike is that he takes a good two to three minutes per episode honing in on the food porn aspect it's important of every i'm movie. italian but <laughs> food is really important to me i'm uh, very italian
2: again preacher choir uh <laughs> I hate that I'll never be in, like, a beer commercial or a food commercial because people will be like, whoa, if I eat Doritos, I'll look like that. Nope.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll never get cast either. I wouldn't get cast in general, but I, for Maybe sure. Maybe if
0: they remake the whole Twins advertising campaign that was big with Bud Light, it could be the three of us. <laughs> and Twins! The three of us pop up. <laughs>
1: All right. So, any worse scenes jump out at you? Like, I have some quibbles. Like, they, the, they got away with burning that med lab kind of deal. I mean, maybe that's a little far fetched. Couple far fetched things. Here. Anna
0: D. Armas being a better driver than Christian Bale in Ford v Ferrari. Yeah, <laughs> when they drive away from the cops, she's like turtle or just fishtailing down side alleys and stuff
2: yeah true and she was called baby driver which i didn't love either
1: (laughs) (laughs) i was mad at that scene just a little bit at the end of it because i like daniel craig is almost hamming it up too much like if i got in a car chase with the police even whether i'm an accomplice or not like i'm expected to be you know arrested immediately after that. I wouldn't expect Daniel Craig to be like James Bond himself to be like, Oh, did he force you to do that? I, uh, of course <laughs> I saw, when you yeah. saw me, you should have not driven away. I mean, come on.
2: I I thought that was dumb too. Uh, but then they retro, they explained that away that he knew. They do. Him. Yeah. So it's very, it's very interesting. It's like when we see him with his headset in just singing along, you know, tone deaf to that song, and you're like, oh, what an idiot! And then in hindsight, he's just confident. Like that's just him. Right. <laughs> he's not inspired away, and he's like, oh, I'll just listen to this music for the time being.
0: <laughs> it, they did I, again. Ryan Johnson did a fantastic job with so many misdirects every step of the way. This is a guy that definitely, you know, this wasn't a script that he just threw together. It, it was. It's a masterpiece. Oh, I mean,
1: anything. Edie makes the hallmark movie joke, and that comes into play yeah, later yeah. on in the film. I mean, the stash. Their, her whole puking thing, you know, it's almost like, it, it, obviously, it's far-fetched in the sense that all of these things coming
0: together... Well, this a... entire plot is undone with a decent medical examiner and a toxicology <laughs> report a couple <laughs> days after the murder.
2: But it's also worked into the plot <laughs> right, explained it is. away, it like is. John was saying. Any any more worse, guys? No, but that that's really funny you mentioned that. It's like uh a toxicology report would solve everything three detectives are like constantly just at the house wandering around being like right. must interview everyone and like in real life lakeith stanfield will be like why don't we go pick up the forensics right <laughs> right, yeah right. why would that house
0: Let's be us call like... for an autopsy this right. billionaire was dead under mysterious circumstances they're not just all
1: going to be stomping around <laughs> the grounds with it. only the murder room gated off or taped
0: off there yeah i i think the uh it's a credit again to to ryan johnson's directing and and the writing of the screenplay and that you do have to with every movie obviously you're suspending disbelief right that was kind of a big deal and i at least appreciated the effort that he went through to explain it away that like yeah now the med lab's burnt down (laughs) and while i have an issue with the med lab just being magically burnt to the ground coincidentally he at least addressed it and explained away the obvious true Okay, so we
1: uh, can head into final thoughts, guys, uh, no more worse. Uh, final thoughts, final grades. We'll start with our guest, uh, John. What did what did you think uh, about Knives Out?
2: Uh, I thought that this movie was was a, a hard B. Like, yeah. uh, I,
0: you
2: know, uh, if it's a number grade, I'm going to give it like a, between an 84 and an 86. Um, yeah. I enjoyed it thoroughly. It didn't blow me away. Uh, I'm I. I, it, I always kind of just use the measure of like, did the movie stick with me for more than a day? And it mm. didn't fully, but I had such a, a fun ride in the theater. Um, it is a movie I would like to rewatch one more time just to like, now that I know where everything's going, see if I can pick up on any small thing. Um, and the ensemble, the fu- Jamie Lee Curtis's short gray hair, um, everything everything about uh and her glasses everything about this movie was so fun it, it just it wasn't tr- like it's not an a for me solely because of like my taste you know what i mean like i but it, it was an awesome movie i'm so happy to see an original property from a talented writer director with a bunch of uh actors that you're excited to see in a movie yeah I'm going to echo a lot of what you said, and I have a very
0: similar grade as well. It's just, it's one of the better whodunits we've had in a while. I'm very happy for it. It's a, it's an original property. I'm thrilled about that. I love the cast. It's not a perfect movie by any means. It has its holes. We've talked about them and touched on them, but I'm an 86 hard B as well. That's where I landed on at the end of the day. Mike, what do you say? So I totally want to drop my grade down now and be cool like you guys.
1: Peer pressure. I, I always have like three points higher than you though, yes, so you do. I can. Uh, I want to kiss John's ass here and just go eighty <laughs> six B because we're such fans of yours, John, and we're, we're thrilled that hey, you no, come on. No,
2: there's no. It's not a huge fight if I say B and you say B <laughs> So
1: I'll say B plus. I, I have it written down. B plus eighty nine. I'll stick to my kill guns. him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess, uh, but I, I do great things a little highly, you know, more more highly than. Mike the, here
0: the sure. summary here at the end of the day is go see go this see movie you're going to get your money's worth oh, and it's oh a yeah. great, great time at the theater that was awesome john we yes. cannot thank you enough and thank you so much for giving us a, a piece of your day and a little bit of your time this was a, a joy and a dream come true for mike and i both We're huge fans of yours definitely
2: oh well thank you so much for having me on literally any chance i get to scream about movies into my <laughs> uh laptop screen works for me
0: <laughs> we'll have to do this again sometime john thanks a lot man thank you all
2: right thank you guys Bye
0: bye See you later. See ya. I mean, that was awesome. And cannot thank John enough for giving us a piece of his time. And that was just so much fun. And God, what a pro he is.
1: I had a blast. I yeah. mean, I, we knew we were going to have a blast talking about *Knives Out* because yeah. it's a it's a fun movie to talk about. But uh, my God, he 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 had us cracking up the whole time. And it's early in the morning his time. Yeah, I know, on I know. West Coast, and he recorded that with us. I, I'm so impressed. Beyond my
0: wildest expectations. Again, cannot thank John enough. So go to headgum.com/live. You can get tickets to John Gabrus's live shows for the *High and Mighty* podcast. He's going to Brooklyn, Boston, and Philly on January 16th, 17th, and 18th, respectively. Then he's going Doing a couple shows in Texas after the Super Bowl in February. Houston, Austin, and Dallas on the 6th, 7th, and 8th. And make sure you subscribe to all of the Gaber's podcasts out there. I mean, he makes
1: one funny show after the next. I've been dying laughing the last few days, just catching up on some of those. I mean, he gets up early in the morning to record with us, and then he's on so many shows. I mean, definitely check out Raised by TV with Lauren Lapkus. So good, man. (laughs) Action Boys with a Z, where he's talking action movies with Ben Rogers and Ryan Stanger. And of course, High and Mighty, where he's uh, always been at the peak of his Powers. I mean, he just did a Thanksgiving Day Power Hour, the fifth annual. (laughs) I was crying laughing throughout the show. I mean, it's just, it, it's that funny.
0: One of the most witty people we've had on to by far. Uh, the Gino Lombardo show is now on Stitcher Premium as well. That is a character of Mr. Gabers. He's performing. Uh, he's came up with that on the Comedy Bang Bang podcast. It's absolutely fucking hysterical. Mm. I was listening to some of the the clip shows of him doing that character on Comedy Bang Bang before we had him on today. I was dying. I think he said he's got six of those shows that are available on Stitcher Premium. Again, Gino Lombardo, that's the name of the show, and the character he's released his latest episode just a couple of days ago so definitely try and go find that out and i promise you you will not regret it John Gabris is all over YouTube. He's all
1: over the, the performance circuit. I mean, he's out there uh, doing shows all the time. And I like this podcasting thing for him is like a perfect, you know, mesh of all his uh his talents yeah, because he's doing like question. a stand-up comedy improv show, but he's also recording a podcast at the same time. It's it's a freaking treat to listen to. And and of course, he's in upcoming movies like Bombshell and the new TV series What We Do in the Shadows, man. The guy's a star.
0: Yeah, he's he's awesome. So definitely do yourself a favor ever become a HeadGum listener. We've had Riley Anspaugh Jeffrey James on from HeadGum in the past. John Gabrus is another one. Uh, HeadGum is wildly, wildly talented all up and down the card, so definitely go check out that podcast network. Uh, Become a John Gabrus listener and do please take a second to subscribe and rate him five stars on Apple Podcasts and if you could do that for us as well, that would really mean a lot. And as always, like we say to wrap up here, guys, we want to hear your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, ideas, anything uh, that you have about Knives Out and about any of the movies or anything we've covered here in the MMO Empire, you can leave us those and reach out to us at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, at MM and oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, like I just said, so if you wouldn't mind going on Apple Podcasts, seeking out the John Gabris Podcast, giving them five stars, and if you're doing that anyway, if you wouldn't mind finding Mike, Mike, and Oscar in the Apple Podcast search and leaving us five stars as well, that would really be a big help, and thank you for all of you who have and do. Michael, What are we doing next? What is coming next from us? And what are some words of wisdom to end this awesome episode on?
1: So we're going to have the golden globe nomination reaction show. That'll be coming late Monday, early Tuesday for you as as soon as possible. We're going to review marriage story over the weekend with another special guest. Mm -hmm. We'll have that for you midweek. And then uh, we'll have an MMOW. That's going to be humongous because (laughs) we're going to, you know, push it a week. We have to, uh, but I'll still be throwing out the, uh, the, the booster there, online, Twitter. Send us all your your submissions for Six Degrees of MMO. Try not to use the easy movies like The Irishman or Knives Out. And yeah, these, you cowards. Yeah, all these movies with everybody <laughs> in them. Maybe connect it to John Gabris because he's been in some cool shit. That, that's an easy away. way to get mentioned. <laughs> easy way to get mentioned, right there. But uh, and, and that's all the wisdom. Uh, of this episode, is, is go go become a fan of John yes yeah. if you're not. I mean, uh, the guy is, is is so talented. He's so funny. I mean, he's he's, he's one of those really smart film guys, too. Like, yeah, he, he is. He, he always, he's always making references to movies and he, he knows his shit. And he, not just as an actor, but he knows his, his, his
0: trivia and, and, and his history. And he was literally raised on TV and movies. That's why the, the name of the podcast fits so well. And it's a great listen if you can go seek that out. Guys, when reality sucks, you can come Listen to podcasts with all our new friends uh, like Mr. Gabris with us. They will sure to give you a good time. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year round without the stuffiness, with a little levity and laughter. We will see you very soon. See
1: I'm
0: going to live, 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 live until I die.